Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. What is success to you? How do you measure success and how do you define it? Today on the interview, we're going to be talking with someone who's just written a book on the topic of success, who has seen a lot of success in his own life. And these are some of the questions that we're going to be getting into in today's interview. Sometimes we derive success from the culture around us. Sometimes we get our ideas of what success is from our family. The question is, is our idea of success actually going to bring meaning and fulfillment and purpose into our lives. We're going to get to a little bit more about our guests in just a second, but first, do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the Mind Scan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the mind scan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the mind scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is an adjunct professor at the Georgetown University School of Business, co-founder of Park Avenue Equity Partners, and founder of Path North, a networking organization for executives. He was also an investment banker at Goldman Sachs and worked for the White House as a special ambassador, coordinating international relations. He holds degrees from the University of North Carolina, Princeton Theological Seminary, and Oxford University. He's just released a new book called Rethinking Success, Eight Essential Practices for Finding Meaning in Work and Life. Here is Doug Holliday. Doug, welcome to the podcast. What a pleasure to be with you. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Yeah, ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? This is a little longer, but I will, I will hurry it up. You know, I asked my class, my MBA class I teach at Georgetown, how many of you ever remember having to take a stand that costs you something? What I find curious is talented, smart people like optionality, so they never like drawing a line on anything. I was similar to that. I went off as an athlete to the University of North Carolina to play lacrosse, and I pledged a fraternity. I'd always been an achiever, and here I was in a fraternity, and they were asking me to do things that I wasn't comfortable doing. 
And one night in the midst of what they called hell night, they were just harassing everybody, going crazy. They asked me to do some things, and I basically said, if I have to change fundamentally who I am, I, I am done. And I walked out. I broke down in tears. I'm an 18-year-old. Broke down in tears with my best friend outside. We went back to my dorm. We're sitting there, and I, I felt so humiliated, thinking I need to transfer or join the witness protection program. And I thought about what Homer Simpson said, this is not the worst day of your life. It's only the worst day so far. Mm. And I sat there, and I, I had never drawn a line ever in my life previous to that. And here I was, and I felt it had been an abject failure standing up for the right thing. An hour later, there's a knock on the door. It's the president of attorney. He asked me to come outside. All 60 brothers were standing there, stone silent. And they said, we just want to apologize. We crossed the line. You're exactly the kind of person we'd like to have in this house. Now, typically, Josh, it doesn't turn out necessarily that way. But I learned a big lesson that you at some point have to draw a line on principle and take a stand. And it's increasingly difficult for leaders to do that. You look in the political culture today, you look in other places, it is not necessarily rewarded when you do the right thing. That's powerful stuff. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I would say grounded, daring, and imaginative. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? What is the right thing to do in this circumstance? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Viktor Frankl, the um, psychotherapist book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he as a psychiatrist looked at who were the resilient ones that survived the death camps, not the physically robust, but those who had a greater meaning and purpose for their life. Man Search for Meaning, Victor Frankel. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week that would help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Learn to be quiet. Learn to meditate and really create safe space where you can stop the noise and be still. Pascal wrote in 1611 in his little unfinished book called Ponce's, he wrote, the fundamental problem of a person is never learning to be alone within four walls. I think the greatest learning is to be quiet. Then you will know what to do, when, and how. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I would say it's better to ask why not. And I think of that great quote that Bobby Kennedy has cited as saying, but it was really George Bernard Shaw who said, some men see things as they are and ask why. I envision a world that never was and ask why not. Why not invites larger conversation and larger imagination. Well, Doug, we are here today to discuss your recently released book, Rethinking Success, Eight Essential Practices for Finding a Meaning in Work and Life. And I would love for you to give us an overview of how you came to write this book, why you think it's such an important message for people to be hearing these days. Yeah, I think uh, what's really interesting, I think in these COVID days, I wrote this before the lockdown, but... In a, in a funny way, I've been around leaders my whole life. I've had the privilege, as it says in the, the Hamilton musical, to be in the room. 
So I've been in the room and I really noticed a funny thing that people who have achieved success, there are unintended consequences with that. Many times they get isolated and disconnected and lonely. Many times they feel lost and, and have lost their kind of moorings. So I really thought, I, I've spent a lot of times really reimagining success. How, do, how should we really think about it? Because many times we get our definition of success from cultural norms, what the world says, it's money, it's power, it's celebrity. And, um, you know, you know, Josh, there was the Scholastic mag magazine that's asked uh, college freshmen since the late 50s, uh, why are they going to college? In the 50s, it was to really find your life purpose. Recently, they've been doing this with freshmen since that time. In recent years, it's become more and more. The two leading responses are, why am I going to college? A, to become rich, and B, to become famous. We pivoted in, a, in our celebrity culture to redefine success wrongly, I believe. We're really creating an illusion that everyone has to be rich, famous, and do it the same way. And we're broken, disappointed people if we don't get there. So I feel like we really need to reimagine, rethink success. And that's why I wrote the book. And you start off the book with a couple really chilling stories or stories that focus you in on the importance of making sure that you actually have a successful life. Could you give us those stories, maybe some examples beyond those even, of people who find out at some point in their lives that their conception of success has been off. Yeah. So I start the book, the introduction juxtaposes two people, Marcus Pearson, who sold a company called Minecraft for $2.5 and he sold it when he was age 35. The other is Ted Leonsis, a friend of mine who owns the Washington Caps and the Wizards. He sold um, his company to AOL back then at 28 years old for about 60 million. I juxtaposed both of them had crises in their life. Ted used that crisis to become a better version of himself. Marcus, not sure yet. Let me read a couple of tweets the first week that Marcus had cashed out, and here he is. Here's what he wrote. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to stop trying. People who made sudden, sudden success are telling me this is normal and will pass. That's good to know. I guess I'll take a shower. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people. Able to do whatever I want. And I've never felt more isolated. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of. And they all hate me now. So in an odd way... The pursuit of this elusive goal of success can have unintended consequences where you're, where you're isolated and miserable, as evidenced by Marcus. So I remember when I was leaving the State Department, I was interviewing with various investment banks. And I remember being interviewed in Manhattan in the spacious office of a Morgan Stanley banker. So we sat there, never forget, and he's interviewing me. And he said, you've had such an interesting life. And then he paused and he said, I'm in prison. He said, it's a really nice prison because I have everything you could ever want. But I'm in prison. I'm alienated from my kids. I'm on my third marriage. And I'm 
deeply isolated and unhappy. I have heard that story, Josh, repeated in various ways by so many people that, that would shock you. And it's because things, accumulations, merit badges don't bring meaning. So, you know, David Brooks, who's a friend of mine, New York Times columnist, contrasts uh, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are all the merit badges, where you went to school, how much was your net worth, et cetera, et cetera. Eulogy virtues are what people will really recall about you. They're the things that are worth an investment of our energies. So you mentioned that you have been in to, once again, bar from Hamilton, the room where it happened. Do you think that success as measured there is possible living a, a more balanced life or living this rethought success that you put forth in your book? Or is there a, a whole different paradigm for what success looks like? Yeah, I, here's how I come at it. I contrast happiness and meaning. And what do I mean by that? Happiness is circumstantial. My kid got in a good school. You know, I just got a raise. I just sold my company. I just bought this fabulous house. It's all the externalities, which can come and go as we have discovered through this crisis that we're, we're living through right now, where the mythology around certainty has come crashing down. The things we thought were certain were not. But on the other hand, I contrast happiness, which is externally driven, with meaning, which is internally driven. I cited, Josh, when you said, what book would you recommend? I cited Man's Search for Meaning because Viktor Frankl, a psychotherapist, was in the death camps. And he observed the people that survived those camps were not the physically robust, but people who had deeper meaning. People who had said, someday I'm going to play the violin again. Someday I'm going to meet my grandchildren. They, they really had a purpose beyond their circumstances. If you don't have a purpose beyond your circumstances, you live in fear. I'm going to lose it all. Oh, my 401k went down in value. Oh, my wife left. me. All these things. Trouble is going to come your way. It is flat going to come. So you have to find a philosophy or a theology that enables you to really understand trouble. That's the definition of success that I think is viable for these times. So let me ask you this. What was it that got you thinking this way? Did you have the benefit of seeing this modeled when you were younger? Or is this something where you also had to come through a bit of a crisis moment before you came to this realization for yourself? Well, it was interesting. I, I, uh, I've been on a really interesting journey my whole life. And I uh, grew up in a funny way. My, my father grew up in a small town in Mississippi. His mother was very religious, went to church all the time. And he went to church, he tried to go to church, but he asked a lot of questions. And it wasn't exactly welcome and invited. So my father decided that religion must not be for him. So he self-identified as an atheist, whether he was or not, that's what he said. So I basically grew up in a family, unchurched, no religious input, except for my grandmother, she and I would occasionally talk. So. I, in my late teens, met some people who really helped me understand that a faith could, it could be thoughtful. You could bring your questions and your, your longings to that conversation. So I started on a journey of trying to understand 
what's faith mean for people for thinking people and i realized josh my whole life in in all kinds of ways i've been trying to create the kind of safe table for exploration that i had wished my father had, had. you know and so i've done that all my life in in various context where I have found myself. And I've always been a seeker myself. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar, said we're all seekers. I've always been on this journey to try to understand what how do you get meaning? How do you connect with the divine? You know, how is is there how do you understand the problem of pain and suffering and all these kind of things? So I've always been curious about these things. So it's been a part of my life from the earliest, earliest days and from my teens on. And I, I've always been curious about what life's about. As Freud, Freud called it, the riddle of life. I've always been intrigued by the riddle of life. So in your book, you talk about a number of different things that are part of rethinking success. You talk about relationships, gratitude, forgiveness, service, things like that. Would you be willing to share a few that, as you reflect on the book, are the most meaningful to you and the most important for others? Yeah, I, I'd say a couple, couple of those. If you look through them all, I think number one, it's really important to know the story you were born into. Peter Buffett, Warren Buffett's son, told me one time this, this quote, which, I, which has informed a lot of my thinking. He said, we're all born into someone else's story. And he told me the story when he was at Stanford you know, the only reason he was in at Stanford was because of his last name. And he was studying finance. And then his father said he wasn't going to leave him any money. And he decided shortly after that, he got a little inheritance when his grandfather died. And he left Stanford, Palo Alto, when he was a sophomore and packed his car, went to New York City and pursued a career in music and ended up getting some Grammy awards Did the did the score for Dances with Wolves, part of it. And, you know, he realized that he was living his father's story and not his. I think it's really important to understand that so much of what we value, how we think, was the story we were born into. We need to understand that. We need to understand is the definition my parents had of success, is that the right definition? So, so you need to do some self-reflection about that. So that'd be Point one. Second, I'd say you need to have friends in your life. You know, not, I don't, I tell my class, I don't let them use the term networking because that reduces the richness of a relationship to a commodity. I think we need to have some people in our life that are really solid points. 3,000 years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom, the writer says this two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their toil. For if one falls, the other will lift him up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So this idea that we need friends to stand with us during good times to be a voice of conscience during bad times. The other two quick things I'd say is one is on risk. You know, a palliative nurse, Bonnie Ware, who spent her whole career listening to people in the, at the end of life on their deathbed. And he, she, she discovered this, the greatest regret they have is they wish they'd taken more risk. They wish they would have taken risks, little and big risks. 
I believe if we're not taking risks, we're not growing. And that includes our whole life. We need to keep pushing the bounds, learning more, experimenting more, challenging ourselves to be better versions of ourselves. So I think the risk-taking thing. And the last I'd say is forgiveness. Not forgiving is like me drinking poison and expecting my enemy to die. It's stupid and it doesn't work. I think, I think we need to really figure out who do we need to forgive? Why are we full of grievance? You know, that uncle that didn't come to our son's wedding. Are you going to let that destroy that relationship for another 20 years? It's not worth it. Let go. You know, the reason why religious texts of all sorts say forgive is because it destroys you. The person who doesn't forgive gets eaten up. So that's why I would say that's one, it's a powerful thing to really let go of. So listeners, real quick in summary, know the story you were born into and be sure that you are living your own. Second, have solid people in your life to both support and to challenge you. Third, take more risk. And fourth, forgive. Now, Doug, one of the things that I'm wondering is, especially as someone who is younger, it's easy to look back on life the older you get and see things that you should have changed or see things that you could uh, critique or change for the future. What recommendations would you have for people who are younger at whatever stage of life they're in to be able to really make sure they are rethinking and challenging their current thoughts, especially on success? Great, great point, Josh. I'd say one is reject the mythology of balance. Every leader I talk to, they all say, I should have lived a more balanced life or that. It's impossible. Get over it. Now, I have a different paradigm. I would say there are seasons. When I was on the White House staff, if you left at 9 p.m. at night, people accused you of working a half day. That was a season in my life. I did that for two and a half years. Now, if I was doing that for 40 years, that'd be a problem. But for two and a half years, my family, my wife, we all said, we're in this. This is what it's going to, this is the ticket to admission. Uh, we're going to play that game. So I'd say really understand that there are seasons in life. Second is create space to think. Socrates said it well. The unexamined life is not worth living. Create space to really think about your life. Think about why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you pursuing that goal? So much of our life, the problems we get into, we're not thoughtful about what we're doing. So create space. Also, create gratitude lists. You don't have to find make lists of the things that aren't working in your life. All of us live with those. They're the things that wake us up at 3 a.m. If you will simply write down two or three things every morning for which you're grateful for, a, a cup of dark roast Italian coffee, the sun's out, I'm breathing, I don't have aches and pains, whatever they are, and literally write those down. I try to do that every day. I maybe am able to do it four or five times a week. We, at the end of the year, Josh, I have hundreds of these things written down that are just such positive things. And neuroscientists tell us it affects the brain when you do these things. The other is a simple thing. Breathe the right way. We don't get enough oxygen. Drink a lot of water. We need to think of our life as integrated. What you exercise is not an option. Eating right is not an option. 
all these things, every, it's like a collage in the wind. One thing affects something else. So, so you know, you know, your mental health, you know, I, um, you know, thank God there are antidepressants today, but there's more we can do. If you're, if you're not an exercise person, walk, try to walk a couple times a week. It will change the way you view your life. It'll slow you down. It, you'll observe things, but more than that, you'll feel better. So I think this integrated life where everything fits, you know, is really thrilling. You don't want to compartmentalize. And that's what successful people often do. And that's where they get in trouble. They just live one compartment over here and then they pull out another drawer over here and they don't connect at all. We need to say everything fits. You know, you can't tell me if a, if a leader's kid is, is in drug rehab, that doesn't affect his leadership. Everything affects everything else. But once you know that, then life becomes very different. It's very different how you live it. So, Doug, one of the things that I like to do before finishing every interview is to toss it back to you. Is there anything that you think is worth discussing that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet or something you'd like to reiterate for the listeners from today's interview? Well, you know, it's funny. I have a, a New Yorker cartoon. There's this, this man on his deathbed hooked up to all these machines and a couple of his family are surrounding the bed. And he looks at them and he said, I should have bought more crap. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, obviously, that's not what any of us are going to do at the end. So I would say simply this. What is it that really is going to matter long term? You know, in, in previous eras, people would think about death a lot because death focuses the mind. It really makes you think, I have a limited number of years. How am I going to live those years? so that they really matter. John Donne, the 17th century poet, actually had a skull on his desk to remind him of how short life was. That sounds weird, but we need something similar to remind us of what truly matters. And the last thing I'd say is this. Those of us, I have three boys. Those of us who had children, I was reading this book by this eminent psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins University, and he said, a very interesting thing. He said, all the strategies, all the teaching, all the cliches we've tried to impart to our kids, none of those things really matter. There's one thing that matters in terms of a kid's life, your children's life. It's how you live and what you value. So simply put, I'd sum up by saying this, the best things you could do for your kids, your spouse, your company, your world, is to become the very, very best version of you. It's, more, it's simpler that way, but it's transformational. People follow people. Your children will emulate how you live. Well, Doug, I appreciate you coming on the show today. If people have connected with you and your message, where can they go to purchase Rethinking Success and to find more about you and the work that you do? You know, you can get, you can get Rethinking Success. It's published by HarperCollins. On Amazon, uh, we've got a landing page. Yeah, look that up, www.dougholiday.com. And then they can also look up Path North. This is the organization I started for leaders and business owners and investors to really reimagine what success is for them. So we have a very interesting sessions and trips and various other things that are, that are pretty interesting. All right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. 
Oh, thank you, Josh. Bye-bye now. Well, if you liked what you heard from Doug today, I encourage you to check out more about him at DougHoliday.com. You can find that in the show notes below or at LifeAsLeadership.com slash 104. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one didn't originate with Doug, but I really appreciated that Doug brought it up in the interview, and I want to bring it up once again. It's the idea of resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the quote-unquote merit badges of life, but eulogy virtues are those things that people are going to really recall about you and your life. They're going to be the things on which legacy is built. The second key takeaway is that without a purpose beyond your circumstances, you will live in fear. So one of the questions I have for you is, how are you feeling during this time of pandemic? I know there are a lot of reasons to be a little nervous, to be afraid, but one of the things to at least consider is if there are no other things that are making you unnecessarily fearful during this time, and there certainly are reasons to be nervous, why are you fearful? Is it in any way because you don't have a purpose beyond your current circumstances? That's an uncomfortable question to ask, but I think it's at least worth considering. The final key takeaway is that the best thing you can do for those around you is to become the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. If you want to change the world around you, if you want to change the people around you, if you want to change your circumstances, become the very best person you can be. You're going to inspire others and you're going to help yourself in the process. Now, one thing I want to bring to your mind before we end the episode today is that my friend Ryan Staley from episode 83 has just come out with a new podcast called Sales and Marketing Built Freedom. So if you are interested in sales and marketing, I highly recommend that you check this out. It's going to be, once again, in the show notes below or at lifeasleadership.com slash 104. I appreciate you listening today, and I look forward to sharing with you once again next week. Until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. 
Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.